Welcome to the GC On Demand podcast, a show about people, about process, about technology, about community. It's great conversations with great technologists about things that matter to you, that matter to all of us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit gcondemand.io for all of the show notes. And with that, let's get started. All right, and welcome to the GC On Demand podcast. For those uh, folks who are fresh to it, my name is Eric Wright. Uh, you can usually find me. I'm at Disco Posse on Twitter, and I'm Disco Posse in the Green Circle community, where you'll find also the show notes and, and other details and links to uh, other stuff around the podcast. I'm overly excited today because I've, I've had a chance to invite a great guest on, someone who I've kind of watched through the industry, and and whether you realize it or not, as a listener, you've, you've touched a tool or product that uh, that our our speaker has created. And with that, I'd like to welcome Mitchell Hashimoto to the show today. And we're going to talk a little bit about HashiCorp and lots of stuff around infrastructure as code. So Mitchell, if you want to introduce yourself to the audience and then we'll uh, get rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Um, as uh, sort of the introduction said, it's a great introduction. Um, I am the founder of HashiCorp, and uh, I've made a number of tools sort of related to, I guess, broadly speaking, DevOps, um, but ranging from, you know, Vagrant for developers all the way to a tool like Vault for security uh, engineers, um, and uh, I'm sure we'll dive into some of those specifically, so I'll, uh, I'll let you take the lead here. Nice. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing I want to start with is, you know, there's there's always the why, like, and you know, we talked quickly before we got recording, like you've got such an interesting story as to kind of how we got here. And and I'll encourage folks to go and do a little research. There's lots of great articles on kind of the the lead up. Uh, I actually, and I was recently lucky to meet with uh, Dave McJanet, who's the, the CEO uh, of HashiCorp. And that was a great conversation. So I documented that. If you go to discoposse.com for folks that are listening, you can take a look at that article. Uh, but the reason why I've been especially interested is the idea of traditional virtualization admins and traditional administrators moving up to this next level of, you know, infrastructure as code and better automation. And Vagrant kind of became the de facto standard among a lot of our, you know, VMware community and the OpenStack community. So, you know, I let me just start with that. Vagrant to Terraform. Let me... Th- let me ask you, you know, Mitchell, you know, how did Vagrant, how is Vagrant going? You know, how did it kind of become the de facto standard among folks? And then how did Terraform come to be? And, and what are the key differences in those two? Yeah, great. Um, so Vagrant is, is going really well. Uh, we're sort of nearing at this point like a 2.0 release, um, which is going to be a great milestone. Um, still gets uh, <clears throat> a lot of downloads. Uh, downloads are growing every month still. Um, you know, I think a lot of people uh, think that, you know, things like Docker or something sort of, uh, I don't know, sort of compete directly with something like Vagrant. And and I don't think that's true. I mean, I think that there are use cases where you should use Docker instead of Vagrant, but the inverse is also true, and, and the numbers sort of align with that, too. Um, and uh, how it sort of, I mean, how it sort of became what it is today is, you know, a mixture, I think, of you know, luck, of course. There's always sort of some luck. and um, and just, you know, talking about it and being passionate about the space and listening to 
the problems people had and what I was experiencing personally too, uh, and just working to solve those. And, and I think the luck part, uh, comes in. One of the things that comes in really is that, you know, I was solving a specific problem for myself and, uh, the, the problem I was solving also happened to sort of more abstractly speaking, be the same problem for other engineers. Like for example, the initial problem I was solving for myself was just creating re reproducible development environments on my machine. Um, when you take a step back and look at the way sort of I originally solved the problem, it, it was the exact same problem as reproducibly creating servers, basically. Um, and so um, the, the config management community was sort of the first one, you know, Chef and Puppet and so on, to really jump on and be like, this is, this solves the problem for us. And that was surprising to me just because, especially when I first made Vagrant, I was a really, really amateur config management user. So I didn't really understand sort of what, what I had helped with. Um, and then over time, I figured it out and, and tried to help them more. And, and now that's where we are today. Yeah, and it's funny. The, the way you talked about that, I actually just read something too. Someone was talking about like Ruby on Rails, an interesting community, and and David Hanemeyer Hansen, who is the creator of that, and his phrase has always been, "I built Ruby on Rails for me," and because he was solving a specific problem that he had, and it just turns out that a lot of other people can coincidentally had the same problem, right? And that you really nailed it. Yes, yeah. you were solving a problem that you experienced and it just so happened that there were tens of thousands <laughs> of other people out there suffering the same plight. Yep. Now, yeah. I mean, I think it's really important for sure. Yeah. And so Terraform was interesting because it's for me, I, I made the jump. I've been a vagrant user for a long time and there's been, there's tons of use cases where it really works great. And then then I call, you know, sort of when I saw Terraform launch, I'm like, ooh, okay, seems like kind of a, a a bit of a better abstraction, and it also has some more distinct use cases, and it also has an incredible set of providers. And maybe if you want to talk about, you know, that idea, what is the challenge the Terraform is solving, and and how did you get such a a backing of of folks that are ready to contribute providers to be able to use Terraform as a a new and a really effective deployment tool. Yeah, um, yeah I'll tell you about it. Uh, so Terraform, again, was solving a problem that I experienced and I had, which was that, you know, Vagrant was a really great way for me to spin up local environments. Um, but when I had to take those environments to something like AWS or you know, Azure, Google, it was really difficult. And a lot of, you know, Vagrant users also expressed this uh this challenge and you know the way they were asked they, they the way they wanted to see the solution and and quite frankly the way i would have wanted to see a solution if i thought it was possible was you know i want a vagrant up local and then i want a vagrant up production and i want it to just work like i just wanted to do the same commands um and sort of what i learned is that the way you describe a local environment and the resources required to run a local environment are just vastly different than a production environment so I did spike out some of these ideas within Vagrant itself, and what I found was, you know, you end up just reduplicating everything. You end up re-explaining everything. You, you can't reuse any part of the Vagrant file. You have to basically say for everything that's running in the Vagrant file, the equivalent way to run it in production, and it's always different. Um, and you run a lot more in production, and so, um, so I was sort of looking for a tool to do that, and I thought that, you know, Vagrant sort of engineering, um, you know, the architecture 
it works great for local development, but I didn't think it was right for something that was managing, you know, potentially hundreds um, or nearing sort of thousands of of resources. And when I say resource, I mean like a load balancer or a network device or a security group, you know, it could get really low level. Vagrant more or less just has to manage a handful of resources in that in that terminology, which is a handful of VMs. Uh, Terraform instead was designed uh, for you to describe your real infrastructure on a real um, real cloud platform, um, whether it's production or a development cluster you have running remotely, uh, doesn't matter. But you describe it, you know, in code, in files, um, and then you run one command, just like Vagrant Up, except it's called Terraform Apply. You just run one command, and Terraform goes out and creates all these things for you the way you want them to, and uh, the way you want them to be. And and it does this really quickly and parallel uh, parallelizes things, um, gets you what you want, handles errors really gracefully. Um, and that was sort of the initial design motivation. Um, and and I just want to say, like you, you you said you were sort of like impressed or amazed by the number of providers, and uh, it just makes me really happy to hear that because you know when we launched Terraform, one of the main criticisms um, sort of was this looks like an interesting tool, but it'll probably never work because it's just too much work to integrate things. Okay. And, and I think people. I think people underestimated the power of community to make that a possibility. And that's that's a fundamental of of so much of what you've done, you know, and how how do you nurture that community because I know you you know you and the founding, you know, the found the founding team of two, you know, and and you've got a fairly small yeah. developer set that are kind of running with this, but you've got a great community. How do you continue to nurture and grow that community successfully and you know maybe talk quickly about HashiCorp the or sorry the HashiConf and and your thoughts on on how that went last year and, and what, what that must have felt like yeah uh, I think nurturing community uh, it at a certain point it becomes its own living thing but to get it sort of the activation energy so to speak of a community an open source community in particular I I, I don't know much about uh, about starting physical like clubs or anything, um, but the sort of activation energy of like an open source community is really high. So you just have to be willing to do a lot of work to get there. Like no one, when when the community helps, they're they're not going to help you start your dream. Like they're gonna gonna help get your vision going from zero to one. You kind of have to get to one first, and then they'll help you get sort of from two to a hundred. But it's you know with Terraform, for example. What we did was we built the initial AWS provider with, you know, AWS is huge, so we just picked the most popular resources we thought would be used. You know, things like instances, load balancers, security groups, databases, the, the really obvious things. Um, and then we did the same for Google. We did the same for a couple other uh, more obscure providers just to show what Terraform was capable of, just to kind of show um, that it's not specific to just infrastructure. Um, and we nurtured those. Like for before we ever had community, when people reported bugs and people requested resources, we did that. And today, um, for HashiCorp, you know, we have a dedicated team of provider developers. We have, but it's probably not as big as you expect. Um, the, the provider team is four people, um, but the number of contributors per Terraform release on the provider side alone is probably closer to 125. Wow. Uh, so if we have four full-time people. But we get over 100 every single release in terms of helping with providers. And, and actually, the, the provider development team of four people mostly jokes that you know 50 to 75% of their job is just reviewing pull requests from the community. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
yeah, I think that's the important thing. I think that a lot of people, um, I mean, a lot of people when they first get started, and, and I fell into this trap really early on too, think that, you know, you hit the open source button on GitHub and people will suddenly come and just help you build something great. And it does turn out to be that way eventually, but it, it takes a lot of, you have to have something working pretty well before that'll happen. Yeah, it was funny. It was at uh, Interop last year, and we had uh, the one of the keynotes was a panel, and it was uh, Sean Roberts, uh, who's now at Walmart Labs on the open source side, uh, Colin McNamara, and John O'Bacon, all three like great open source advocates. And I think the common theme among it was like just putting your code on GitHub does not make it an open source platform. Like you've opened your code. Not at all. But you, there's right. there's so much more, and then wrapping a community around it, and not only a community, but then, you know, HashiConf in the year we kind of joked last year that it was the year of the con because there was like 800 you know conferences that were all over the place, but a lot of them really were like glorified meetups, and that doesn't seem to be the case. Like HashiConf, you seem to have a really really good momentum behind it, and how did that come together to be as strong as it is? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's funny because I think our weakness turned, in, turned into a strength for the conference side of thing, which is that the weakness is if you look at HashiCorp and the HashiCorp tools in general um, compared to sort of others in the space, whether they're, whether they're competitive or not, just like, you know, you can look at a logging. We don't do logging at all. So you can look at logging even as an example. Like a lot of tools out there have a bunch of meetups in a bunch of cities. And we never really did. And, and I think that's a weakness. Like I think that it's, we do now. We're starting to more now, but we're really late to that game. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of sort of, there wasn't really a venue for our community to get face-to-face -face with other community members, just paying customers, the, the engineers employed to work on it. There wasn't really a great way to do it, do that. And the, the easiest way for people to do it was to figure out sort of what non-HashiCorp conference I was speaking at and just buy a ticket to go there and, you know, corner me basically to nice. talk about something, <laughs> uh, which is totally fine, which is totally fine. Um, but HashiConf was, we did a HashiConf before um, we ever did a significant number of meetups. And uh, and so I think it was just a place where it's like, oh my gosh, like as a community member, finally, like, yeah, I have to pay money because obviously we have to put on the conference, but I'm going to be surrounded by hundreds of other just people that are really interested in or love these these tools. And I don't, you know, I want to learn things, so they they go. And now, you know, we have a number of meetups. Actually, this year we're doing something a little bit different. Um, we're gonna, uh, I'll just say the name, but I won't talk too much in detail. But we're we're gonna launch something called Hashi Days, which is sort of in the the uh, middle of a conference and a meetup, which is a full day, one day, full day, lower cost sort of local event in a major metro. Um, we're going to do a couple of those to try to, you know, because HashiCon is going to start, is starting to get, you know, more expensive, and we want to make sure that we still have an approachable sort of venue for meeting customers and users. So we're pushing sort of hard around there. That's uh, that's really great. And let me tell you, if you're looking for local, you know, source references and leaders in the in some of the markets, uh, I'm happy to help to connect you with a lot of folks because I know there's a lot of people. I've done stuff with the OpenStack days, and and we've really had good successes, and it's become a great market that's easily consumed. Like I was surprised we did an OpenStack days in Montreal, and same thing. I thought, oh boy, cool. How are we going to fill a room? And we, we had the opposite problem, that we actually had two extremely full rooms, great feedback. And so it's 
it's definitely, I think you've chosen the right way to attack that because yeah, that niche like middle space, I think is going to be perfect where people can't get to the full con because it's a travel and, you know, uh, but yeah, just yeah. doing the old pizza beer meetups in someone's, you know, uh, shared meeting space isn't always as effective uh, for people. So yeah. that's, that's great to hear. Now, yeah. And I have to, I have to say like, as, as I said, like pretty, pretty funny, I guess is, you know, it, it is surreal sort of even, you know, I guess I, for me, especially at, at one of these conferences, because a lot of times like doing things through the internet doesn't feel as real, you know, like, you yeah, feel it's, like it's not as tangible, it's right? All, yeah. It's all just kind of bits and you kind of go to sleeping. Like do people actually use the software? Like I don't talk to anybody in person that often, um, you know, or today. And, and then you go to a conference and you see sort of like hundreds of people and it's, it's pretty interesting, you know, impactful, I guess. Yeah, it's funny. You're, you're like the, the radio DJ who just like goes into a room, talks into a mic and you you hear the ratings yeah. are that there's lots of people listening, but you've never actually seen it. And so that's, you can actually connect. That's a good analogy. Cool. Yeah, that's a good analogy. So I, I've, we've kind of focused, and I talked Vagrant and, uh, and uh, Terraform because it's close to the heart for me, and a lot of people that listen are kind of in that space. But I think the next one I, I really want people to start investigating is, you know, there's so much more, but truthfully, the next step for most admins is Vault. You know, secret management is probably one of the biggest gaps, and if security is an afterthought, it's a dangerous thing, right? And so how... How has Vault gone as far as people consuming it? And, and what do you think are good ways for people to get started with really properly handling secret management with a, a platform or a product like Vault? Yeah, Vault's, uh, Vault's been going really well. Uh, it's, it's, it's shocking, like shocking amounts of growth, I would say. Um, and it took us by surprise, too. We actually never, when we released Vault, it was one of those things, again, we're solving our own problem where we couldn't, we you know, scan the landscape and we're like, hmm, we don't have any good solution for secret management and we don't really like any of these things out there for various reasons. And so I was like, well, we'll just build our own, open source it, build a community around it and uh, and use it as a way to recommend our other tools, which we thought would be the major, you know, people will really adopt Terraform, people will really adopt console, these other tools, but Vault will always be a way that we could say, oh, that's how you store your secrets, um, but, you know, no big deal. Uh, and and it, it totally ended up being sort of the opposite, where Vault is our growth leader, basically. Um, but Vault sort of solves the problem, just the, the couple cents elevator pitch, this solves the problem of securely storing secret information. And whether the secret information is just passwords or credentials or whether it's actually just like email addresses, billing information, certificates, et cetera, like anything. Anything that you could qualify as secret Vault is there to help you with, like literally anything. It could be a one gigabyte sort of like file that you need protected. Like Vault will encrypt that for you. Um, and the best, and you know what I've learned is sort of that security is really, really deep. I guess it's 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 difficult to look at from a distance as a consumer because it feels impossible basically because it feels like there's so many things and you know there's a lot of pessimism. And it's like eh, like I'm like, I'll, I'm doing the minimum, but like, I don't know, I'm probably going to get hacked anyway. Like <laughs> there's a lot of like, like negative feelings in there and it's sort of, uh, it's not that hard. I mean, if, if you look at Vault and you read the documentation, um, 
you will be overwhelmed, and we're trying to work on that. Like, it is overwhelming, but the, you asked sort of how you get started, and the, the best way to get started is to use something like Vault and use it only for its really basic key value storage, secure key value storage. Like, ignore all the other features it has. Ignore most of the configuration options that help lock it down more. Um, ignore complex ACLs and users and roles and all that stuff. Just use, you know, one token. Use it to just store stuff. Um, and as you get more, as you gain confidence, just get more uh, com uh, complex from there. Um, because you sort of have to remember that Vault is built to to be that simple. We have to document everything else because it exists. And those features exist because they're solving some security need for someone somewhere. Um, but the level of security sort of requirements you have as an individual could be way, way less. It might simply be that you just need to securely encrypt and store passwords, which is a relatively simple problem. So uh, use it for that. Yeah, and I think the the growth, uh, always a great way to spin up some growth is to have Kelsey Hightower using your platform in a in, in most of his presentations <laughs> over the last while. So uh, I think that was... Yeah, he's a, he's a Vault fan. <laughs> He's a he's a great uh, a great person to have in your camp, and and that truthfully, you know, that shows you the power of the the toolkit that you've you've brought to the market is that you know Kelsey has a very interesting set of scale you know challenges he's solving and small to medium to Google scale literally, and and to see the the HashiCorp tools in his toolkit that tells me that I'm doing the right thing if I can even get part way there with with how he's tackling some of his problems which is really cool <laughs> now one of the other things i mean it, it's it's interesting because you've got all this other toolkit and you know bringing stuff to market and i i rarely talk about stuff that didn't hit but it's it's interesting and if you don't mind talking about auto you know auto sure. sort of, it slid into the middle i felt kind of it was like it was like vagrant plus you know and but it seems like terraform yeah. minus like did it was it that it was two between things or not so didn't solve a distinct challenge how did that sort of come and go yeah i think the problems that aspired auto aspire to solve are still problems and and some of them still aren't solved well and and so and from that respect you know it's, it's from that regard it's disappointing uh that it didn't work out um, I think the major issue for us was the approach we took in solving those problems. I think that it wasn't the right uh, altitude, so to speak. It wasn't the right place to actually solve those problems. Um, and so, you know, we looked at, at auto and we knew we wanted to solve those problems, so we couldn't sort of in good faith after shipping it and iterating on it and trying it, you know, it was getting a lot of interest, and people were interested in helping out, and, and the community was going quite well, but it was hard. I mean, people were straining to sort of make it work because I think that the the solutions, the path we took weren't correct. Um, and in addition to that, you know, we were under sort of in immense corporate growth on Vault and Terraform, and so we were hiring a lot of help there. We were focusing a lot of effort there, and auto just – you know, I was working on it, and we, we were never able to sort of grow that team past one. Um, and, and we were willing to, but every time we had that conversation, we, we had to also talk about, like, well, are we even doing the right thing? And so ultimately, you know, we decided that the responsible thing to do would be 
to just be very public about, like rather than let a bit rot or something, um, just to be publicly sort of, you know, admit mistakes, um, keep the source code open and just, uh, and just let it go. Uh, and so that's what we've done. I think there was a lot of, uh, at, at most people were really, it was really well received. Um, there were some negative, people thought we closed source bits, but that's not the case. Like the source code's still completely available. Um, we didn't delete any history from Git or anything. It's all there. Uh, we just sort of shut down from the website, but the source of that is also all on the source. So we really didn't do anything other than, you know, like say in advance that we weren't going to work on it anymore. Yeah, it's interesting that somebody would think that. And, and like I said, uh, the reason why I brought it is I believe that's a very, it's a very powerful choice that you, an honest, good business and community choice you made is because you've got such a great uptake with other areas and, you know, whether it was you know, the right abstraction, the right, like you said, altitude at which the problem was being solved. You know, there's a, there's something to be said about saying it's not working and let's let's move that engineering into other areas where we know we've got got growth and say you know i said so it's it's a strange thing to celebrate closure of a project but you know how many projects have we seen that are just sitting out there and you look and you're like oh yeah last commit 18 months ago like oh boy (laughs) so yeah and and honestly like it just uh you know it felt bad because people were trying to use it and our biggest fear was that if we didn't come out and say stop, basically that you know someone would build something on top of it and uh, or build more on top of it and it actually be sort of like abandonware and we don't want that to be the case. Um, I think you know another negative viewpoint on it was like oh no this is like you know this is like the, stere- the stereotype attached to Google which is like oh they launched something and then they oh, shut it right. down and then Hashi- you know is HashiCorp going to do something like this and I mean that's I guess kind of fair but I think at the same time. Um, I would sort of ask, you know, people about those criticisms to just to just wait a bit, just because, you know, we shut down auto. I guess what let's say, I don't know, six six to nine months max, sort of after it was launched. I don't know the exact time frame. I might be wrong there, but I, it feels like six to nine months. Um, and the other projects have all been around for multiple years now. And and the problem with auto was like by shutting it down, it it hadn't reached that activation energy I talked about earlier, where it could continue on sort of as a community. Like, I, we, we're not going to, like, big banner, we're not going to, but if we were to shut down something like Terraform, you know, again, we're not going to. But if we were to shut down something like Terraform, then, you know, I think that it would continue to live pretty strongly just because there's such a big community around it. And so, you know, adopting it as a company isn't that risky anymore. Adopting technology when it's less than a year old is, is always going to be risky. And I think we have a track record of not, not sort of betraying you on that we auto sort of being the exception but um but yeah i mean it's it's, it's always like that yeah i mean definitely the and the rest of the the rest of the product set is a it's a heck of a resume you know so congratulations to you the the team and and everybody who's who's brought it to this point and keeps this velocity going it's been impressive to watch it as a consumer of these products and it was and the other thing that was neat. And I talked with Dave McJanet, like I said, and and I I'm so used to like talking things and always saying like platform. Think of it as a platform approach. But he kind of brought like, well, this isn't. Don't think of it as a platform. Think of it as a set of products because you can plug in and plug yeah. out whatever you do or don't need. And that's a really I love that approach. And you know, was that purposeful? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that. 
I always say, and I say this publicly, and it feels like it's sort of like not aligned with the company and sometimes, but, but I, I think it's the opposite. I think it's like perfectly aligned, obviously. Like the, I believe that the end goal for all of us is to get to something like a platform. It's like whether it is technically a platform or not, like when you squint, it feels like a platform basically. Like the <laughs> idea, the, the, the end goal for all, for me at least, and I believe all of us is we want to get to a place where you click a button and everything exists and you click another button and your application is deployed and infinitely scalable and you don't have to think about it and it's all magic, kind of, a kind of magic feeling. Like that's where we want to get to. And I think that, you know, in a lot of, for, for I guess the broad deployment world, like building a platform right now is kind of putting the cart before the horse just because there's a lot of fundamental problems that need to be solved. And we think we're solving some of them really well. Like we think, Console's fantastic at service discovery. Vault's fantastic at, at secret management. So hopefully, you know, those become the final, quote unquote, final building blocks of this platform one day um, because they're right or they're correct. Um, but I think there's still a lot of things that need to be solved. And so, you know, our approach was let's solve the individual problems and let sort of the best tool over time, the best tools, not just single tool, best tools over time coalesce into what becomes the ultimate platform. Nice. Yeah, I, I always look at, uh, I think I talked to Dave about Alex Polvey as my other example in, the, in what he's done with CoreOS. And, and I think his description of it is, his tagline is we're filling in the white space, you know, of secure, of a yeah. secure internet. And it's, it's, you, you've really got a great approach in, in tackling that. So, and I love, my favorite quote from now on is gonna be when you squint, it feels like a platform. <laughs> <laughs> cool. You can say that about a lot of things in DevOps right now. Yeah, and that's God. We could we could do an hour just on the the definition of DevOps and the the adoption cycles. That's another beast that 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 is would would definitely take far more than we've got today. We should you should uh, you should uh, get Armand on. Uh, I mean, I would do it, but I think yeah, there'd be some fatigue from uh, listeners there. But if you grab Armand uh, to talk about sort of DevOps defined, which is our uh, our our website, our posts, our white paper on what we believe DevOps to be. I think you can talk about that for for half an hour. Yeah, that's actually there we go. I think we've just committed Armand to uh, to a podcast there. So uh, uh, this is good. <laughs> He'll hey, appreciate well, it from me. I know uh, I know we've we've got to close out for time, but Mitchell, thank you very much for for sitting in today. And where do folks find you? Uh, and what's the best way to uh, see all things HashiCorp? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, HashiCorp.com, um, and if you Google sort of any of our products uh, and sort of follow the breadcrumbs of you know the company on the organization on GitHub or my Twitter or anything, it's I don't I don't personally hide much, so you can find my email address and you can find me pretty easily. Uh, so that's that's sort of the best way to do it. And I usually Twitter is usually the best way. I tweet about all the events I'm going to. I tweet about releases. I tweet about upcoming HashiCorp things. Uh, so that's that's the best way to to stay in the loop. Excellent. And I'll ask you one quick closing question, just because I happened to read the, the Business Insider article and it talked about like your founding story. And it was a funny thing in the middle where you said like your dad just didn't believe that you had a real job yet. Does he does he believe you now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, I mean, he always sort of believed. I mean, he just pushed me, you know, to, to, to you know, succeed, I guess, in, in a career. And, and computer science is sort of a new risky field. So it's, it's always scary, but I think the the business insider article painted it much more negative than I actually meant. He's he's sort of always been supportive, just uh, pushed me really hard. 
Yeah, it's, it was a funny way, and that's like kind of how immediately how I read it. I was like, that's probably just, that's just like a dad dig. Love just like, why don't you get a real job, yeah. son? And, and so, but uh, I know, you know, like I said, I've having watched it from the outside. I can say that absolutely, you're succeeding, and thank you for for all you give back to the community as well. Thanks. Well, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Mitchell. We'll talk to you again. Yep. Sure thanks, bye. If you like what you heard here and want to hear much more, don't forget to subscribe to the GC On Demand podcast. You can go to gcondemand.io where you'll find the links in order to catch us in iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and more. So go to gcondemand.io. Don't forget to rate us in your podcaster of choice and look for much, much more. Have a show idea? Tweet us at GC On Demand. Thanks for listening.